Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the first, hopefully the first of many episodes of The Real Score. I am your host, Mr. Mike. For the next two hours, I'm going to take you through a fantastic journey to the sports universe. You may cry, you may laugh, you may get worked up and all sweaty like me over here, but I think overall we're going to have a pretty good time. I have got two full cups of coffee, about a gallon of water, and a bucket underneath my seat for pee breaks. We are locked in and ready to go. Let's jump right in. And I want to start off today talking about the NFL. And before we get carried away here and before I get, like I said, too worked up and sweaty about this, I just really want to remind everyone that the Detroit Lions are in first place of the NFC North. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 How's that make you feel? How's that, how's that making everybody feel out there in Packerland? Pretty good, right? Pretty, pretty good. I'll tell you, folks, um, this is something that bothers me, and I know it bothers a lot of people. 47-25 was the final score of the Packers-Titans game yesterday. Fantastic, wonderful, pumped up, amped, jacked. Psyched, on point, efficient. None of these words I would ever use to describe the Green Bay Packers play over the last year. There's no energy, no emotion, little to no urgency, zero creativity again. You know, how, how can you get mad at the defense when they're on the field for 40 minutes of the game? You know, I mean, this is what you get when you've got a GM that drafts and develops with no veteran leadership. He's literally drafting and developing whole pluggers. I mean, Packers have Washington next week and in Philadelphia the week after. And and does anybody out there feel confident that the Packers can beat either of those teams away? I don't think so. Ted and McCarthy have got to be on the hot seat. And I'll tell you something else. We need a vocal, motivated leader on that team for these young players. You want to draft and develop? Fine. But you've got to get a leader that's going to help develop them. 16 points in the first half, 9 in the second half. Once again, this team is proving that it's a one-half football team. I mean, it's really starting to seem with all the injuries that are piling up. Just, just play a half. If all you're going to do is really go out there and try for one half of football, then just, just play a half. There's no sense playing full full four quarters if you're not going to try for all four. All you're doing is risking an injury at that point. When your stay in Green Bay exceeds a decade, 
I'll tell you something. All that really matters is winning championships. That's it. And the expectations of this team should be so much higher than every one of those of the fans. I mean, every team in the league, you know, pays lip service about winning a championship, but it is truth in Green Bay. And anything less for Ted Thompson, who has 12 years of experience with the Packers, and this is his second stint, for McCarthy with 11 years, a continuous experience in his second stint, and for Rodgers in his 12th season, anything else would be a bitter disappointment, and it has been. And the Packers are finding themselves in, in an alarming downturn since the 6-0 and start last season. They're 9-11 and in the last 20 games. They were 17-3 and in the 20 games immediately before that. You know, it's been a long, long time since they played one of those great games that became so common after the Rodgers quarterback Packers became a force back in 2009. It's been a long time. And it's frustrating. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing that we're talking about still being in the NFC North because it's so bad. And, and fans are, well, you know, well, we're still going to win the North. So, like, that's good. That's what we've become as a fan base is, is okay with mediocrity. You know, I was on a uh, very famous radio program last week, and um, – because I'm one of those guys that calls into the radio shows and tries to start arguments. And I succeeded this time. It was great. But the first call I had was um, to one of the hosts in the morning. And, and I came out and I said that exact same thing. I said, you know, I don't understand why we as fans are okay with the mediocre play that we see on the field. And this unnamed host of the show disagreed with me. And he says, well, I, I don't think they're mediocre at all. He says, you know, I want to talk about that more after the break. And he came back from the break, and you know what he said? He went into a Halloween story about farts and Midol. No joke. So this is, this is the media that's covering our team, guys. Okay, let's just sweep it under the rug. All right, let's just hope that we'll have a better game against the Colts. The Colts are bad. This is the game. This is the one we need. We need this to get back on track, then we'll be fine. Oh, that didn't work. Ah, the Titans are bad. Packers will get it back on track. We need this one. This is going to be the statement game. Well, that didn't happen either. What are we going to say now? Is Washington going to be the statement game? Or is Washington looking at this and saying, this is our statement game? Because I'll tell you, you watch this team. I don't, I don't care about numbers because the numbers are bad for the Packers. I mean, that's the bottom line. I don't care about the numbers. You look at the eye test for the Packers, it's horrible. This offense is, is just filled with nonsense, nonsense. You know, I mean, the Packers came into the league yesterday uh, kept hearing about this fantastic run defense, and, and show me. Twice they've been tested, and twice they failed. Come on. You know, I hear these commentators on TV, and, and, and everyone is, oh, but the Packers' pass blocking is so great, and their offensive line is so great. Do you know why? This is not going to come as a surprise to a lot of you, but do you know why the Packers' offensive line looks so great? It's because defenses know how to play them. It's really simple. 
just drop back. Their receivers can't get open. Rodgers is only going to throw to two, three guys at the most. I mean, they admitted that. It blows my mind that the head coach of this team came out and admitted that, no, nah, yeah, I mean, we're just going to throw to veterans because you know, we don't trust these young receivers. Well, how are they going to learn? How are they going to develop if you're not throwing them the football, if you're not giving them the opportunities? How are they going to develop? I watched Rodgers yesterday go off on Trevor Davis after he ran the wrong route. And, man, I love Aaron Rodgers, but I'm going to tell you, that really turned me off. You know, of everyone on this team, he needs to be the one that steps up and, and, and gets this done. Do I think they're relying too heavily on him? Yes, I do. I do. And, and, and defenses have figured this team out. It's a simple offense. But Rodgers needs to step up. You know, like I said, we need a vocal, motivated leader, and that's not what we have in Aaron Rodgers, and that's never what we're going to have. That's not the kind of person he is, and that's fine. But then we need someone that's going to come in and be that leader. And well, what about 2010? What about that? Rodgers wasn't a leader then. We won the Super Bowl. You know who the vocal leader was? Woodson. His speech, his, his speech, his speech is now made famous about the White House, about, about going, to, going to the White House after the Super Bowl. Woodson says, if the president doesn't want to come see us, fine, we'll go see him. I mean, just saying that gets me all jacked up. Imagine saying that to a locker room full of Neanderthals. Come on. That's what we don't have. We don't have that leadership. You know, you want to talk about fundamentals and you want to talk about the process and you want to talk about fundamentals and, and more fundamentals and and every Mike McCarthy press conference. About fundamentals, it's about the process. It's about doing the small things right. It's about fundamentals. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Don't talk to me about fundamentals when it's clear that you don't know how to coach fundamentals. Can't tackle. Can't block. Can't run the right routes. Can't punt. Can't cover on special teams. Can't stay in your lane. So what, what fundamentals are we talking about here? Oh, we had the best week of preparation we've ever had. Really? And that's the product that you put out on that field? Not, not once. Okay, you, you have a brain fart one time, fine. It happens. You, you don't show up for the game, out all night drinking, got a hot date in the stand somewhere, fine, whatever. No energy for the game, whatever. I get it. One time, you get a pass. Two times in a row? Against bad teams? I shouldn't say that. Give the Titans credit. Okay, I don't want to give the Colts too much credit. But, I mean, they deserve some credit too. But give the Titans credit. I mean, they look good. Running game was on point. Defensive line looked good. Offensive line was good. They did exactly what they needed to do. And, and Mike McCarthy got outcoached last night. In addition to, to every single player on that Packers team getting outplayed, Mike McCarthy got outcoached yesterday by a coach that wanted that victory. He wanted it, and you could tell. And that team rallied around that coach. And that's something you don't see in the, on the Packers. You got Aaron Rodgers openly criticizing the head coach's decision-making. I mean, look at this offensive staff. You know, that's another thing. I mean, for, a, for an offense that's seemingly so boring and bland and simple, they sure like to complicate things, don't they? You don't have an offensive coordinator. Well, yeah, you do, but he's not really in charge of the offense. He's in charge of 
personnel. Then you've got an assistant coach. I'm not really sure exactly what he does. And then you've got McCarthy that's calling the plays again. I mean, you know, last year should have been a sign for everybody. Okay, McCarthy gave up the play calling for a reason. Now, I don't want to speculate, but I'm going to. It wasn't Ted, because I don't think Ted knows what he's doing. I mean, Ted's got one foot in the grave. I don't think he's concerned with really anything that's going on except the, the building of Titletown over there before he kicks the bucket. The only thing I can think is Mark Murphy <laughs> went to Mike and said, you're done. No more play calling. Enough is enough. How many times do we have to watch the same thing over and over again? Get a lead coast. Get a lead coast. And, and McCarthy will be the first one to tell you. Yeah, we like to get a lead and then, you know, we just use the clock against them. Like that, Okay. That's a great philosophy there. Don't play the team, play the clock. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, I told you, I tried warning you, you know, when I get all worked up and now I'm all sweaty. But we're going to move on. Um, I'm going to come back to the Packers in a little while here. We're going to loop back around. Um, But I want to move on to a couple other games. I'm not going to spend too much time on the Seahawks-Patriots game last night, even though it was a fantastic game. Um, Really good game. I didn't think that the Patriots were as efficient and smooth as they have been. But, I mean, it honestly kind of looked like Seattle, that was their game plan. You know, and and you don't want to really chalk that up to the Patriots having a bad game as much as you do the Seahawks having a pretty good defensive game. I mean, both defenses played well. It was a close game. Both offenses played well. I'll tell you, Russell Wilson, when he's healthy, and he looks healthy now, um, man, he can make some plays. You know, and, and as much as I hate the Seahawks, the only thing I can say is because Russell Wilson was a Badger, I, I can be okay with Russell Wilson doing well. As long as they're not playing the Packers and as long as we don't see another fail Mary, I'm fine with it. But, um, you know, give it up. Those two teams, they battled hard. That was a tough game for the Seahawks. Um, in Foxborough, kind of a redemption game. Um, that's turning into to a pretty good rivalry. These are two really tough teams. And, you know, the Patriots, we've seen the Patriots kind of struggle on defense in the past. I mean, they've had great defenses in the past, and, you know, they've won championships with those defenses. But, you know, for the most part, it's the, the efficiency of their offense. But uh, you give them credit, too. Their defense is playing well this year. They've, they've got it going. And you know, as well as I do, that Tom Brady's got something to prove. And he would love nothing more than to be there at the end of that season, standing next to Roger Goodell holding that trophy, just smiling at him. You know, so give it up. I mean, the pa- Patriots, they've got a good team. Seahawks have got a good team. Um, in my opinion, these are probably the two best teams in their respective divisions, NFC, AFC, in my opinion. I think the Broncos are, are close behind, but I think the Broncos are going to start to rely too heavily on their defense, which it just isn't the same as last year. They've got a couple injuries, but it just isn't the same as last year for, for whatever reason. 
Um, but you look around the league and, and really overall, it's, it's, it's not great. You know, it's, it's really not a great football year. And, and that could be why the ratings are down too. you know, it could just be that, you know, we don't have those dominant teams. You know, you do have some surprise teams, the Raiders, the Raiders, I think surprised a lot of people. And you got to give the Raiders credit for as horrible as they've been forever. They, you can see the last couple of years, they have just been getting progressively better and better and better. And it's a good time to be a Raiders fan. You know, I, I just, I can't believe I'm saying this right now. I can't believe I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you guys, the five listeners that I have out there and talking about, it's a good time to be a Raiders fan. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening with the NFL, but we are kind of getting a watered down product, I think. And it is what it is. This is the way the game is. The game is going to keep changing. There's no sense in fighting it. It's, it's going to happen. Now I want to move on to another game from yesterday, Cowboys-Steelers. That was a great game, too. Um, the Steelers, I don't think, are as bad as their record shows. Okay, Big Ben is, what, three weeks off of a knee surgery? Um, I think when he hits his stride, as he always does, I think they'll be fine. My opinion, the Steelers are more of a second half of the season team, in my opinion. I think they've got the core guys there uh, to, to maybe not make a run this year, but uh, to be good and, and to make the playoffs and to do well. You know, so Steeler fans are kind of freaking out. And, you know, the Steelers and the Packers have the same record. I mean, I, I believe they're both four and five, and I believe they're both one and three on the road. So, but I mean, if you look at the Steelers team, I, there's just no way that you could ever convince me that if the Packers and Steelers lined up tomorrow, the Packers would win. So Steeler nation needs to chill out a little bit. Steelers are going to be fine. Big Ben will hit a stride. They'll get it back on track. He's coming off a knee surgery. I mean, he showed you last night why he's one of the best in the league. Um, that, that final drive, he had that fake spike. It looked very similar to... Another quarterback I saw do that once a couple of years ago against the Dolphins, quarterback named Aaron Rodgers, back in the day when Rodgers was a stud. But anyway, moving on, Cowboys, huh? How about them Cowboys? God, I hate it, but they're good. They're good. You know, I'll be the first one to eat my words. They are not a bad football team. They, I think, got really lucky. I still think that old Jera is kind of a moron, but they did something right this year. I mean, people thought they were crazy taking Ezekiel Elliott fourth overall, but <laughs> it worked. And he's proven why he was the fourth overall pick. He's a damn good running back. Hard runner, fast, quick, shifty, good vision. I mean, a rookie year, he's having a great rookie year. Now, you could have the second-year blues of this guy after such a great season. And, and let's be honest, the guy has had some off-the-field issues. And I think that will come into play over the next couple of years as he gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You, know, you typically see stuff like that happen with, with these guys. You know, off-the-field issues, coming to the league, 
they blow up, and then they have more off-field issues. But overall, I mean, the Cowboys, they've got a pretty darn good football team. You know, it's tough to – it's really tough to criticize the Cowboys these days. I mean, am I, is, am I crazy here? Hold on a second. Hold on. Let's take a time out here quick. Packers are 4-5 and five and in third place in the NFC North. The Raiders are leading a division with the San Diego Chargers and the Denver Broncos. The Cowboys – uh, amazingly, have one loss on the season after halfway through the year. I mean, is it just me, or does it kind of feel like the universe is just turning? It's over. We are screwed. We are screwed. This is what we're looking at now. We're looking at a Cowboys team with one loss. We're looking at a Packers team that's dreadful a Raiders team that's on the rise and, and looking dangerous. I'll tell you, there is one thing that I did see yesterday and really the last couple of weeks, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen the same thing. And that's the officiating. What a mess. Huh? What a mess. Um, Packer game yesterday. I, I couldn't, I couldn't stand listening to the, to the officiating. I couldn't, I just couldn't take it. Point in the wrong direction. Didn't know what number the guy was. Couldn't figure out if it was offense or defense. Too many conferences to then get the wrong call. I mean, for Christ's sake, this is a professional officiating crew. And they almost awarded the Packers a penalty on a two-point try, which is against the rules in the NFL. I mean, that's college. You can't do that in the NFL. So he comes out and he says, they're going to take it on the kickoff. Nope, nope, they're going to take it for the extra point. Nope, nope, change my mind. They're going to take it on the kick. I mean, come on. I know Goodell doesn't want to get full-time officials. But, I mean, we need to get some full-time officials in there. This is getting worse and worse. I mean, um, Mike Daniels yesterday was called for talking. Literally called for talking. Not taunting. Not like the official misspoke. They threw a flag of unsportsmanlike conduct on Mike Daniels for talking. So then they showed the replay on TV, and he didn't make any gestures. You could just see his head moving because he was talking. And that's what we throw a flag on? Come on. You know, that officiating crew, they talked about it all, all game yesterday. They lead the league in ejections. I just don't know how that can be. I mean, that just shows you that the opinions and and arguably most of the calls that are made in the NFL are opinion based calls. Do I think he did this? Do I think he did that? Do I think he didn't? So on and so forth. But it's unbelievable to me that we can have such a difference between officiating crews and such a difference in opinion. And and just we're okay with that. You know, no, these these refs are good. It's fine. No problem. Let's go back to last Monday, talking about officiating. Bill Seahawks, 25-31, Seattle wins the game. Bills lose their third straight, drop to four and five. Um, Tyra Taylor was outstanding, efficient. 289 yards passing, he kept the plays alive with his feet. I mean, aside from, 
you know, one miscommunication leading to a Richard Sherman interception in the end zone. I mean, he made smart reads, smart throws. I mean, his number one favorite guy, Robert Woods, 10 catches, 162 yards. I'll tell you what, look out for Robert Woods. He's going to be a free agent in 2017. And this guy is upping his value every single week. Mark my words. Robert Woods, you watch out for this guy. In fact, I know a, I know a team up north that could really use a good explosive receiver. But <laughs> we'll get to that later. But um, Buffalo was was the was the efficient team last Monday. Um, they really were. They were they were far more efficient than the Seahawks. They outplayed the Seahawks in every facet of the game. Um, just came up short, you know. And you got to give the Seahawks a little bit of credit, I guess. You know, they 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 win gritty. They did it last Monday. They did it last night. And. You know, you may look at that that Buffalo game and and criticize the Seahawks like, yeah, I beat Buffalo. Buffalo's not a bad team. They're really not. It's, they're one of those teams that I, I I think they're better than their record shows. I think they went through some ups and downs firing the the offensive coordinator. They've got a relatively new coaching staff. They've got a young team, young quarterback. Um, I think I think they'll get it together. I have confidence that the Bills will get it together. But going back to the Seahawks, you know, like I said earlier, Wilson, when he's healthy, I mean, man, he he can be dangerous. You know, Jimmy Graham last Monday, you know, kind of finally proved that he can be one of the best tight ends now that he's finally healthy. And that, that Jimmy Graham gamble in Seattle, that might be paying off. You know, after not living up to any expectations, you know, I thought last Monday the Seahawks defense was a little bit suspect but they certainly made a statement last night showing otherwise. So but what's interesting is, you know, we're talking about the officiating in the NFL and how it's kind of a mess. And what's interesting is we keep going back to the Seahawks when it comes to officiating. And this is something that I am calling Seahawks favoritism gate. And hopefully this will get as much play as Deflategate and go on for five, six years. Although, who am I kidding? It probably won't because this is something that actually matters. So I'm sure you all are aware, most of you probably saw or heard about it. Um, Final seconds of the first half of that Seahawks-Bills game last Monday were an absolute nightmare. Uh, Carpenter lines up for a 53-yard field goal, three seconds left on the clock. Sherman jumps off sides and just bowls into Carpenter. When you watch the replay of that, he kind of blocked the kick, but it was so clear. Go back and watch the replay of that. It was so clear. He wasn't even looking at the ball. He had his head down, and he stuck one hand out. He got a finger on the ball when the ball was still on the ground, not even kicked yet. Now, I get what Sherman says. Oh, you play to the whistle ends. I get it. And you know why I get that? Because the refs didn't pull the whistle. And they didn't throw a flag. You know, that's that's officiating in the NFL at its finest right there. I mean, Carpenter, while he wasn't hurt, could have been seriously hurt. And that would have been a big blow for the Bills. And why? Because the referee didn't blow the whistle on time. You know, I've seen them blow the whistle on, on almost every other call way too early. 
You know, the three plays that Aaron Rodgers used to get, no more. They blow him dead now. But you've got Richard Sherman unabated to the kicker and nothing. So because the trainers took the field, Carpenter, I think he did a little bit of an acting job, but, you know, to his credit, why not? You know, he's trying to sell it. I, 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 don't, I don't have a problem with that. You know, Sherman gets flagged for offsides. Okay, Carpenter appeared to be hurt. There's a little acting. Trainers come on the field. Trainer gets on the field. Carpenter stands up immediately, starts yelling at the trainer, get off the field, get off the field. Okay, as a casual fan of the Buffalo Bills and Seahawks and football in general, um, I don't know, like probably many of you, all the rules of the rule book that's 68,000 pages long. So I'm looking at that like, oh, you know, he's fine. He's just upset. But in reality, he was probably screaming at the trainer to get off the field because he knew what was coming. So because the trainers ended up taking the field, um, they had to call an injury timeout. Buffalo had to use its, quote, fifth timeout. And therefore, Carpenter had to sit out for a play. Let me repeat that. Three seconds left. 53-yard field goal attempt to tie it going into halftime. And the referees say that even though Richard Sherman jumped off sides, should have got a rough in the kicker penalty, no whistle blown, that now Carpenter has to sit out for a play. And at that point, even me being a Packer fan, I was irate. And watching the reaction of Rex Ryan was just priceless. It was like classic 1980s baseball manager spitting in the umpire's face as he's screaming at him, kicking dust with his right foot, picking up the bases and throwing them around the field. That's exactly what it looked like. It was great. I I can't believe Rex Ryan didn't get ejected. You kind of hoped he would have just because it would have fired up the team. But it it was great. His reaction was just priceless to that. So give the Bills coaching staff credit after that. Okay, they realized the situation they were in, and although they were highly pissed off, they didn't panic. That okay, there's enough time on the clock that we can line up, spike the ball quick, save a second, and that's the one play that Carpenter needs to sit out. We'll go back and we'll kick the field goal, right? No problem. Okay. So they do it. It works. One second left on the clock. Um, I, it's still a 53-yard field goal. You could probably chalk it up to a 53-and-a-half-yard field goal now. One second left. Carpenter lines up. And lo and behold, the referees didn't restart the game clock, stood over the ball until five seconds left on a play clock. Ball is snapped well after the clock, the, the play clock expired, well after it expired. No whistles, no flags. Kick sails to the uprights. It's good. Great. Then the flag comes out. Nope. Delay of game on the Bills. What? Like that's what we're that's what we're doing here in the NFL. Like that's the kind of officiating we're talking about here. It's ridiculous. Okay, they take the five yard penalty, they re-kick, he misses the kick. It's three points. So I say, well, they lost by six. Big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And and, and Rex Ryan put it perfectly at the end of the game. He says, had everything stayed the same in the game, and we made that field goal, it's a tie game at halftime. Everything else stays the same. Instead of being a six point game in the in, late in the fourth quarter it's now a three-point game late in the fourth quarter now you know that the bills drove all the way down late in the fourth 
to, I believe, the four-yard line of Seattle, and then Taylor took a sack, um, and they ended up, they ended up trying from the 15-yard line. But either way, the Bills drove well within field goal range. That had it been a three-point game, Rex could have elected to try the field goal. Had they made the field goal, game goes into overtime. It could have been a totally different game. These are the kind of calls that, that blow my mind. Okay, and why does it seem to be Seattle all the time? You know, halftime, Blandine Blano, the head of officiating, what a joke that guy is, admitted the call was wrong immediately at halftime. He tweets out, nah, it should have been roughing the kicker, should have been 15 yards. Could have been a different ball game after that, right? So Blandine Blano comes out and says, yep, it was the wrong call. And then the head official, Walt Anderson, comes out, quote, I didn't feel like the actions and the contact, because we were shutting the play down, warranted a foul. Okay. But it warranted a $9,100 fine, right? Because that's what happened. Richard Sherman was fined $9,100 for a hit that head official Walt Anderson said, I didn't feel like the action warranted a foul. Ah, but it warranted a fine. You know, that's what we're talking about here. I'll tell you, we're going to take a short break. And uh, after the break, we are, uh, I'm going to open up the phone lines. We're going to take some calls. Um, I've got one person on hold right now. Just hold on a second there, caller. Uh, after we come back from the break and after the calls, we are going to jump into our first segment of this fantastic morning, and that is Long Snapper Camp with Jim Bob Gruden. We've got a fake commercial break now. Number to call in on the Hewitt Moving and Storage Hotline is 215-383-3687. Like I said, we're going to take a quick fake commercial break, and we got more real score coming up after the break. Stick around, guys. Hey, y'all. This is Hall of Fame quarterback from Keele, Mississippi. Are you tired of hiding your phone as you're taking a picture of your junk? Well, hide no more, friends. Presenting wrist picks the hidden camera that looks like a watch but functions like a low quality camera it's perfect for those discreet junk photos don't trust just any camera to take a pic of your six trust wrist picks wrist picks is not a real product and this head should not be taken seriously And welcome back to The Real Score. We're going to go to the phone lines here and take this call. Caller, go ahead. You're on The Real Score. Hey, good morning. Morning. How you doing? Good, Jesse. Anywho, I just wanted to bring up two points and a question. Okay. My first point is what the hell is going on with the Packers? That's not a good point. You got me all nervous now that I'm on the phone line. I'm not going to lie Don't to Don't worry. Don't worry, Mr. Jesse. There are millions of people listening to this. Don't be nervous at all. <laughs> Did you get to see the UFC fight and see the McGregor Irish hand grenade? That was no. amazing. I didn't watch it. I'm going to tell you why you I didn't watch it. 
I didn't watch McGregor. I'm going to tell you why I didn't watch McGregor because I don't like him. I don't like McGregor. I I think he's a pompous jackass. And I'll tell you something, Conor McGregor. If you're listening right now, I'm calling you out, man. I'm calling you out. You've seen what these guns can do in Hawaii. I'm going to show you what these guns can do in the ring. Calling you out, McGregor. You want to hold another championship belt? That's fine. I'm at 205 right now. I got no problem dropping down to 204 for you, buddy. Okay, Jesse, go ahead with the other point. <clears throat> okay. Um, it's my understanding that the Packers no longer practice offense at full speed and that they to go at like half speed or three-quarter speed because of the concussion protocol. Yeah, that's true. That's that's exactly true. And uh, Mike McCarthy is the first one to. And thanks for the call, Jesse. Mike McCarthy is is the first one to come out and, and say that this is the reason that we're having problems. Um, this is the reason that you know we're not as efficient as we once were is because of the, you know the CBA and and you, you got to go half speed. And I I agree with going half speed in practice because a lot of injuries that occur. While a lot of injuries that occur happen in the game, a lot of injuries happen in, in, in the practice field. I mean, let's be honest. So I understand why they would want to go half speed. But the problem is, if you're going half speed, it means two things. Like McCarthy always says, you're working on fundamentals. Okay. You're working on the small things. You're trying to hone your skill. Okay. Like a weightlifter. Okay, you're looking at a, like a power lifter who's just worried about brute strength and force, or you're looking at someone who's isolating a muscle or stretching a muscle to strengthen one muscle. Like that's what I'm looking at when I when I look at a half speed practice. Okay, and that's not what's happening. Packers are clearly not working on fundamentals. Clearly, it's not happening. They're not doing the small things right. They're not running routes right. They're not blocking. They're not tackling. I mean, how many times yesterday did you see our defensive backs go for the ball instead of the tackle when they're clearly out of position to go for the ball? You know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree with so much with McCarthy when he says, well, this is the problem. But come on, man. Every team's got to do it, right? I mean, at this time of the year, every team's banged up. Every team's got injuries. Every team has to do the same thing. It's like NASCAR. Same horsepower, same weight. Who's the better driver? And right now, everyone's a better driver than the Green Bay Packers. Everybody is a better driver than the Green Bay Packers. I've actually got some, before we get to Jim Bob, I've got some exclusive audio that I want to play for you guys. Um, I actually came from an insider of mine up at Lambeau. It was recorded about two weeks ago in the office of Ted Thompson, and it's actually a conversation, a private conversation that I'll add, um, between Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson. Listen in, guys. Oh, your helmet is so big. Our helmet black. You need it on the bridge, sir. Knock on my door. Knock next time. Yes, sir. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. Yep, that's what's happening up in Lambeau, folks. Cranky aching and doll playing. That's what's happening up there. It's actually interesting, too. I have another soundbite for you. Um, Aaron Andrews uh, caught up with Mike McCarthy on the sideline yesterday, and she kind of asked him uh, a couple questions um, about uh, the communication between him and Rodgers and, and him and the rest of the offense, and this is what he had to say. That's why I wanted a signal 
between us. So I wouldn't have to just shout nonsense words. Yep. Nonsense. Nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Oh, boy. Here we are. About a half an hour into this hideous radio program, and I am already wore out and sweaty. But I still have two full cups of coffee, so I think we're still in pretty good shape. I want to get to our segment. Um, We are going to talk long snapper. um, And specifically, we're going to go back to the long snapper of the Buffalo Bills game. Um, We were talking about the horrible officiating and the uh, kick that was good, the kick that was no good, the kick that should have been good. And a lot of people don't realize that uh, there's a lot of pressure on these long snappers. So with that, let's get in to long snapper camp with Jim Bob Gruden. Welcome to the camp, the Long Snapper Camp, with Jim Bob Gruden. That's right, folks. Long Snapper Camp with Jim Bob Gruden. We're going to go live with Jim Bob right now. Jim Bob, what do you got for us, buddy? Hey, Mike, I want to talk a little bit today about Garrison Sanborn, man. This guy's a monster out of Florida State University, six foot one. Just got married in 2011, man. Congratulations to Garrison Sanborn. Let me tell you something. This guy's got a very well-developed Gerugia Maximart scapulous muscle on his backside, man. This guy's got a motor that just doesn't quit. He's got an engine I like to look at like this in players. I'm going to tell you something else, man. You take one look at this guy, you know for sure this guy was born to long snap the football, man. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Jim Bob, great stuff, man. You're the man. Thanks for joining us today. We look more look forward to many more uh, long snapper camp sessions with you in the upcoming weeks. Um, I am going to take uh, another uh, fake commercial break here. Um, again, call in line is 215-383-3687, or you can shoot me an email to the show. Uh, email is realscoreradio at gmail.com. When we come back from the break, I want to talk more about officiating. And I want to talk about why the NBA, yes, the NBA is, is doing this whole officiating thing the right way. More Real Score after the break, guys. Stick around. Hi, friends. Have you recently been assaulted by Hope Solo? Are you not even a family member of hers? Don't worry. There is help. Red Card Protection, the personal bodyguard service that can guarantee you protection against Hope Solo. These things happen when you associate yourself with Hope Solo, so you need to be sure you hire the right company to protect you. Red Card Protection, we are here for you. Red Card Protection is not a real thing in this head, should not be taken seriously. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to The Real Score. Now... I want to talk NBA. Um, NBA season is upon us, and while it's still early, and let's be honest, none of these games actually make a fart in difference, um, I do want to talk about the officiating in basketball. And this kind of ties into you know, what we're talking about in the NFL and why is it so bad in the NFL. Um, this is interesting, okay? There's been a protest in the NBA, and many of you may not know about this, but in the last few minutes of the Nuggets-Grizzlies game last week, 
um, there were several questionable calls. Um, but there was one that was uh, pretty impactful in the outcome of the game. Um, it was a turnover call. Um, Nuggets made an inbound play, uh, 4.7 seconds left, botched the pass, uh, fast break by Mike Connolly of the Grizzlies, um, who appeared to lose control and the ball went out of bounds. Okay. So obviously this is a big spot. Like I said, 4.7 seconds left. Who'd the ball go out on? Um, it's a good one to get right. So referees reviewed the, the call. The replay center um, appeared to show that the guy from Denver touched the ball prior to it going out of bounds. Okay, the call on the floor was confirmed, and it was determined to be Memphis possession, Grizzlies possession. However, they reviewed an additional angle after the game, and it was determined that the Denver Nuggets player did not touch the ball. And possession should have been awarded to Denver. It's a big deal. What are you going to do? It's over, right? It's like that's what the NFL says. <laughs> Sorry. I'll tell you, it is a big deal. And I'm going to tell you why. In 2008, in a game between the Atlanta Hawks and the Miami Heat, this is back when the Shaq attack was on the Heat, um, an official scorer of the game incorrectly ruled that Shaq had fouled out. Uh, 51.9 seconds left. He had incorrectly ruled that, that Shaq had fouled out of the game. When, in fact, he only picked up his fifth foul, so he shouldn't have been out. Now, Atlanta went on to win that game. But following a similar protest, um, the Hawks win and the Heat loss were temporarily removed from the record books until they could replay the final 51.9 seconds of the game the next time the two teams met. I mean, is that genius or what? Now, granted, in the NFL, you'd have to take that case by case. It would have to be a clear-cut judgment call. Okay, excuse me, non-judgment call. It couldn't be opinion-based. Okay, like, like the, the Buffalo Bills debacle. Okay, they should have reset the play clock. It was, that's not opinion. That's just fact. They, they screwed up. They didn't reset the play clock, and they should have. Okay? That should be replayed. Now, how are you going to do that? Easy. Easy. Blandine Blano, at halftime, like you said, tweeted out. It was wrong. This is what should have happened. So why didn't that happen? Why didn't they say, okay, you know what? Same personnel on the field, same play, same yardage, same hash mark, same time on the clock. Keep everything the same. This time we're going to set the ball, we reset the play clock, and try it again. And when we come out after halftime, before we start the third quarter, that's what we're going to do. We're going to replay that one, or the four seconds left on the clock, whatever it was. I mean, how difficult would that be? And then at that time, because the Buffalo Bills had already kicked a field goal and it was good, the referee should be like, well, we can, we can do that. Or you can elect to keep the field goal, which was good before the flag came out. I mean, it seems pretty simple, but it just never happens. You know, the, the explanation we get is, is, well, sorry. Our two-minute review was that they screwed up. and Sorry. Thanks for playing. Go home. Good day, sir. You get nothing. You know, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, he's proven to be effective. And he's bringing positive change to the NBA. You know, and it's only fair that, that this case, the Grizzlies-Nuggets case, is reviewed. And corrected. 
as it was in 2008. And all the league needs to do is temporarily remove the results from the record book and allow the final 0.7 seconds of the game to be played the next time those two teams face, which is February 1st. The Nuggets can then inbound the ball and get the win that they deserve, obviously. I want to talk more NBA. I'm staying in the NBA. Um, I want to talk Bucks Grizzlies, but before we get into Bucks Grizzlies, I want to take a call. Caller, go ahead. You're on the air. I'm back on the air. I lost it there for a minute. Jesse, how you doing? Excellent. All right. So uh, my uh, next opinion is that um, it doesn't have anything to do with the NBA. I'm back on the NFL. Is that the NFL before too long is going to be downgraded? to something lower than the NCAA. I mean, with all the safety protocols. Oh, God! I'm not lying to you. God, please, no! 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 You're right, Jesse. You're absolutely right. Take a look at it. even, Even the TV programs that have them on, they are now charging them more for the advertisements because they're not getting the viewers that usually get, you know, I mean, the NFL used to be something huge. And in the last couple of years, I think it turned off a lot of people. I agree with you. I totally agree. And I think, um, I think the NCAA and thanks for the call, Jesse. Um, I think the NCAA uh, has taken a step back because they, they can't exploit their players as much anymore. I mean, honestly, um, I think the product of the NCAA uh, football is, is good. I, I think it's a good product for the most part. Um, I don't think it's as watered down as the NFL because you have, um, you have a lot of elite teams in college and you, and you have teams that uh, continue to be elite and, and you have true dynasties in, in college football. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, the, I think uh, college football has taken a step back, you know, in the last several years because they, they can't exploit the players as much anymore. And I like that. Um, I like that uh, college football. Some of the rules that they have, I like. Um, I like the targeting rule. I think that's great. And I love the fact that that before they make the decision, they automatically review it. And in when in doubt, throw the flag. If if you thought it might have been targeting, throw the flag. And that's what the officials do. And I don't think I've ever seen a time where I could say they got it wrong. You know, they don't call that many targeting plays that are actually confirmed and that player is ejected. So I like that. You don't see that in the NFL. You know, you've got one officiating crew that never calls hits, uh, uh, you know, head to head hits. You got another officiating crew that calls too many when they're not there. You know, there's, there's, there's too much of a variance between officiating crews. It's, it's, it's bad. And I think that has a lot to do with the decline in viewership as well in the NFL. I think it's a combination of people are just sick and tired of of the the product that's that's some of the product that's being put in the field. They're sick and tired of the the rule changes and the ridiculous calls that are being made. You know, they're they're sick and tired of of teams like the Patriots that are cheating and get caught cheating constantly, time and time again, and nothing happens. Yet you know, you got a player that, that shoots a pretend bow and arrow in a touchdown celebration. He gets fined $9,000. You know, that's what people are sick and tired of. You know, the, the league is the first one to jump all over these players and, oh, you can't do that. That's wrong. But the league does something wrong, but the officials do something wrong. They're like, well, sorry, what are you going to do? 
sue us. What are you going to do? You know, and, and that's what you get. But let's uh, switch, switch gears again. Let's go back to the NBA. I want to talk Bucks, Bucks basketball. Fear the deer. Bucks Grizzlies. Final. 106-96. Bucks are 5-4. and four. I'll tell you what, folks. They don't look too terrible. You know, first couple games of the year, media in Milwaukee is freaking out. Is Jason Kidd worth it? What is he doing? He's making ridiculous adjustments. Guys, we're nine games into the season. Isn't there like 365 basketball games in a season or something? I mean, come on. We're nine games into the Bucks season. I'm not worried. They look better. They've got talent. Giannis is a monster. Scored 27 points against the Grizzlies. I mean, he's consistent, man. He really is. Saturday night was a great night for Giannis. You know, you got Giannis is averaging 20.6 points a game. Parker's 19.5 points a game. Delavadova is averaging 6.4 assists per game. That's going to go up, guys, I'm telling you. I I thought getting Matthew Delavadova was fantastic. The guy's got championship credentials. He's a good defensive player. I, I'm telling you, Matthew Delavadova was a great pickup for Milwaukee. Really great pickup for Milwaukee. Just just in the fact that you know he's a, I mean, really a veteran that has been around this championship environment and 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 been around a person like LeBron James and. You know, no one really knows what LeBron is like behind closed doors, but I can't imagine that it's that much less of what he's like in the open, you know, competitor, motivated. Uh, you never, I don't think I've ever seen LeBron, you know, yell at his guys, you know, get all mad and start screaming at his guys and blame guys, you know, and that's, that's, I think Del Vadova brings that too. You know, he's here to help and he knows that he knows his role. Great pickup, great pickup. Giannis has got 5.4 assists per game. That's going to go up to still early. But overall, yeah, I think I think the Bucks can make a run. I mean, it's tough. You're coming out of the East. You know, look 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 who you're facing in the East. Um, you, you know, it, it, it it's it's kind of like the Big Ten. You know, you want to you want to win a Big Ten championship. Good luck. You know, you, you got some, you got some upper echelon teams there that are tough, and it's the same thing with the with the East. You know, you got some tough teams there. I mean, even even the Bulls. I think even the Bulls are are going to be a tough team. I think they'll get it together. They're on the right track. I think. Um, I honestly, I thought it would have been nice to have Dwayne Wade in Milwaukee. You know, come back to his college days playing at Marquette. I thought that would have been great. Chicago's home for him. You know, it, it certainly wasn't a long-term solution. You know, and for a team that's rebuilding, I understand why they didn't go that route. You know, but they brought in Jason Terry. You know, Bucks bring in Jason Terry. I thought that was a good move, too. I think you're going to see a lot of good things over the year from Jason Terry. Good three-point shooter, veteran, leader, championship. You know, I mean, won a championship with uh, with Dirk in Dallas. You know, so I I... I expect good things out of this Bucks team this year. I think we're going to surprise some people. As disappointing as it was last season, I think it's going to be equally as exciting this season. I think I think I think the Bucks are going to exceed some expectations here. Now let's stay in the NF, or the uh, the NBA. Um, I want to talk Toronto Raptors and Knicks. The Knicks 
I mean, how can you not hate the Knicks? Right? I mean, they, they go out and spend big on players that nobody likes. Rose, Noah, they got Anthony. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you just can't get that many guys that hog the ball and that no one likes in one place and not have some kind of backlash. Right? I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of funny, you know. Look at Derrick Rose averages 30 minutes a game, okay? Um, four assists per game, about 15 and a half points per game. Okay, Knicks are three and six overall. They lost to the Raptors, uh, 118-107. Raptors are seven and two. That, you know, there's no shame in that. Raptors are, are a darn good team. You know, Rose, 30 minutes, four assists per game, 15 and a half points a game. Noah, 23 minutes, four assists per game, five points per game. Noah, you got to do something, man. If you're not going to share the ball, if you've assist, you got four assists per game and five points per game, you've you got to do something else. You're playing 23 minutes on that floor. Now, yeah, okay, his rebounding numbers are good. I get it. you, you got a good rebounder. But in this day and age of basketball, when you've got teams – that can shoot the three as well as some of these teams can. Now, I don't always agree with that. I don't think that's the way, and I think that was proven last year, that if you live and die by the three, living by the three is great. Dying by the three is even worse. But Joe keep knowing, you, you got to do something. I mean, four assists per game, five points per game. If you're not going to share the ball, you, you got to do something else. Either score more points or, or play better defense or just change the way you're shooting the ball. I mean, is it just me, or is Joe Kim, does Joe Kim Noah have the worst shot ever? I mean, it's like a four-year-old in the driveway during wintertime trying not to slip on the floor throwing up a free throw. I mean, geez, it's horrible to look at. Ugly to watch, ugly to watch. You know, Carmelo Anthony, 31 minutes a game he's averaging. Two and a half assists per game, 21.4 points per game. We knew that with Anthony. I mean, I mean frankly, we knew it with Rose, too. You know, they're ball hogs. That's what happens when you get a team of ball hogs. You know, you look at the great teams in the league, and they've got at least one guy who can effectively distribute the ball and isn't worried about padding his stats. Oklahoma City, 6-3. and three. Russell Westbrook a- averages 9.4 assists per game. Cavaliers, 7-1. and one. LeBron, 9.3 assists per game. Chris Paul, Clippers, 9-1. and one. 8.6 assists per game. Toronto Raptors, 7-2. and two. Kyle Lowry, 6.9 assists per game. I mean, do the math. You know, you got a guy, you got, you got one unselfish guy on the court that shares the ball, that isn't worried about padding his stats, and that's team first. And, and that's, that's what you get. You know, the exception to that, I, I don't want to say exception because they're not a bad team, would be the Houston Rockets. I mean, I don't know the exact number, but James Harden has like 13 assists per game. He averages, you know, uh, James Harden is, he's, he's, he's looking great this year so far. I think, I think he took a lot of heat last year. I think he'll still take heat because of the type of player he is, but you got to give the guy credit. You know, he's a good, he's a good ball player. Now going to the Raptors, the Raptors are the opposite of the Knicks and the Raptors are the opposite of a lot of teams. I mean, what's the, the Raptors are the anti-Golden State, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay, 
DeMar DeRozan. That dude is playing old school basketball, and it is great. Great to watch. Scored 33 points against the Knicks. He's averaging 34.1 points per game. He's 53% from field goal per game. And you know what's great? He doesn't shoot the three ball. He's averaging 34 points a game, and he doesn't shoot threes. You know what that means? That's paint points. That's huge. DeMar DeRozan, this guy is a stud, and he is only getting better. He averages 1.3 three-point shots per game, attempts per game. 1.3 per game. Steph Curry attempts an average of 10.2 three-point shots per game. And, And let's compare these numbers, okay? Steph Curry attempts 10.2 three-point shots per game, and his points per game average so far is 26.9. Okay? DeMar DeRozan averages 34.1 points per game, and he's attempting 1.3 three-point shots. Like I said, great teams can shoot the three. Okay? I'm not taking anything away from that. But eventually it becomes bland and not exciting. And, you know, arguably the Golden State Warriors have come under heavy fire for that. They're just, eh, well, okay, you can shoot threes. Great. But like I said, when you live and die by the three, when you're living by the three, it's great. You're on fire. You're setting records, points, stats, whatever. But when you die by the three, you die hard. And that's so what happens. You know, that's, um, that's the price you pay for, for playing a game like that. I mean, Golden State played the Lakers last week, which was awesome, by the way. Because uh, I, I don't think a lot of people had faith that, that Luke Walton would do well as a head coach right away. And so far, so good. He's, he knows what he's doing. But it was great to see because it was a different style of basketball. And it made you think, really made you think that there was some kind of I don't want to say drama, but maybe a little bit between Luke Walton and Steve Kerr because you can see the, t- the type of team that Steve Kerr wants to run. And now with the Lakers, you can see the type of team that Luke Walton wants to run. And I'll be honest with you, I, I like Walton's product better. I mean, Golden State's a better team, you know, but I think Walton's on the right track and the, Knicks are on the, or the uh, Lakers are on the right track. Oh, boy. This is our number two. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, after that last segment, I am, I'm not too sweaty. Things are going well. Um, hopefully, I still have the five listeners that, that tuned in to start the show. Um, I am going to take a, another short, fake commercial break. I do want to remind you guys to call a number. The show is 215-383-3687. Um, you can shoot me a line, email is realscoreradio at gmail.com. I do have an email in here that I want to look at. Come on, guys. I've got one email in my inbox. Give me a break here. You know who the one email is from? It's my wife. The email is a smiley face. Your studio looks great. Love you. Come on, guys. This is a sports talk show. Let's, let's crank it up here. 
Call in line 215-383-3687. That's the hotline for the Hewitt Moving and Storage. Shoot me a line, realscoreradio at gmail.com. Like I said, we're going to take a short fake commercial break here, and they got, we got much more Real Score Radio after the break. Stick around, guys. Hi, friends. This is from Bulls Rebounding Camp, The Worm. Are you a large male like myself? Do you have a hard time finding a pretty dress that fits? Are you unsure what you're going to wear to your next meeting with the leader of North Korea? There is a solution. Worm gowns. Custom-made wedding-style gowns for large males like yourself. Take it from the worm. You'll look pretty. Worm gowns is not a real product, and this advertisement should not be taken seriously. And welcome back to The Real Score. Thanks again for listening, guys. Um, most of you didn't have to get up as early as I did, uh, over here in Hawaii, it is six minutes after six o'clock in the morning, which would put it about six minutes after 10 o'clock in the morning, central standard time, which let's be honest, that's where my five listeners are located. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bucks and how encouraging I think the bucks are. And I think they're going to have a good season this season. And we talked a little bit about old school basketball, right? No fancy three-point shots. You're getting over 30 points a game, and you're attempting 1.3 three-point shots a game. I mean, that's old school basketball. I love it. But I want to bring it to old school football, baby. That's right. We are going to talk some Badgers football. How about them Badgers? What an exciting week. Ah, Saturday was fantastic. I mean, could it have possibly gone any better for the Badgers on Saturday? Really? Statement went over Illinois. It's Illinois. It's Lovey Smith. I get it. 48-3. to I think I read that was the largest margin of victories for the Badgers in what, three seasons, I think three or four seasons. Fantastic. Fantastic. Old school, big 10 football, baby, how it should be a big 10 in the Midwest. They got a lot to be proud of in college football. That's for sure. Badgers had 455 total yards of offense, 363 rushing yards, 92 passing yards. That is Big Ten old-school football. We're going to run it down your throat, and eventually you're just going to get tired and give up. Wisconsin's got that big offensive line just wearing guys out. Just tough, tough football. No turnovers, efficient, 7 of 13 on third down. They had the ball for 42 minutes in the game. Total domination. Total domination. And... And on a, on a day where the Badgers uncharacteristically had four penalties. The Badgers are averaging one penalty per game. Very disciplined team. Very disciplined team. Great, great to watch. Really exciting to watch the Badgers this year. Defense, I mean, what can you say? One of the top in the nation. One of the top in the nation defense. They held Illinois to 0 for 9 on third down. 
When it was third down, Badgers got off the field every time, every single time, 0 for 9. Gave up 101 yards passing, 99 yards rushing, which is still, I believe, above their average, but still good. You know, they've got some injuries there, too, that they're working through, and just fantastic. Four interceptions. And they only allowed 18 minutes of offensive possession for Illinois. 18 minutes. Really great game. This is a team that takes advantage of the opportunities that are presented to them. I mean, a laser-like focus on the next game has been a big strength for Paul Christ. And let's be honest, the expectations have grown every week now. So it's that focus that keeps him going, and he, he's, got him, he's got him where they need to be. Badgers showed no let-up against Illinois. No mercy. Pedal to the metal, put it aboard the whole way. I think they led 28-3 to three in the second quarter. And Paul Chris calls a fake punt. Successful fake punt on fourth and one from their own 41-yard line. That's take some stones, man. I like that. Now, had it not worked, you know, you could have called it a lot different, but had the game changed? Probably not. You know, I mean, it was, it was, and I think Paul Chris realized that if I don't make it, our defense can shut them down. They're not going to be able to score on us. So why not go for it? And I like that, that confidence to know that you've got the personnel, the talent and the scheme in place that you can do whatever you want, because you know that whoever else comes up after you, they're going to have your back. That's just fantastic. Really great to watch. Really great. Paul Chris was quoted as saying, once again, I thought our defense was really good. It's a good team win, and it didn't just happen. It was a good week of preparation. Jeez, where have I heard that word before? Preparation. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mike McCarthy. For a guy that talks about preparation, I mean, he should probably start looking at game tape of Wisconsin's preparation, don't you think? Because... Here's guys at Wisconsin playing for free, for free, playing for the glory on a team that, I mean, ultimately came into the season viewed by many as, as not a top 10 team and not, not to mention not a top five team. And they just keep proving people wrong. And Paul Chris has got these guys dialed in. This is a well-oiled machine in Wisconsin, and it's only getting better. You know, at the beginning of the year, you look at Wisconsin's schedule and you, ooh, that's rough, you know. You got LSU, Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan, Nebraska, um, Iowa. You know, Iowa's going to be ranked, I'm sure, after that win at Michigan. Iowa's not a bad team. You know, those are, those are some serious teams. And after every win, we were like, well, LSU's having a down year. Yeah, well, they, they, they are, but they've turned it on. LSU has never lacked the talent, and that's the thing. I think LSU has more talent than the Badgers do, and they have all season. So you take the two teams at the beginning of the season at their, at their healthiest. I can't say a neutral environment because it definitely wasn't a neutral environment at Lambeau Field. But, you know, I'd say arguably a more experienced team in LSU that is that has – lived up to expectations, I think. Well, maybe not the last year, but, you know, for the most part, they've got a pretty pretty good tradition there at LSU. 
And to come in and get beat by Wisconsin, that was unranked at the time. I believe LSU was five at the time. I mean, that's huge for Wisconsin. Huge. And they, they haven't looked back. I mean, when you really think about it, Badgers are getting a lot of credit. You know, in the beginning, I didn't think they were getting enough credit. And, and now that you think about it, they are. For a two-loss team, they're getting, they're getting great credit. And it's looking better every week. Okay, because these teams that they beat are getting better, with the exception of Michigan State. LSU has turned it on. They beat the crap out of Arkansas on Saturday. They had every chance in the world to beat Alabama last Saturday. 10 to nothing. Close game. They, get, they took it to Alabama. You know, so, you know, it, it's, it's adding credibility to the Badgers and how good of a team they can be. We've seen greatness from this offense, and we've seen stinkers from this offense. You know, you've got a consistent defense that, I mean, you've you got to put a pretty powerful offense like Ohio State up against the Badgers' defense to, to score points. I mean, really, that's, that's the way it's been all year, and that's the way it'll continue to be. But, you know, when you looked at the schedule for the Badgers early in the year, you know, it's like, oh, that's rough. But now that you think about it, it was actually genius because you got the wins that you needed to get, tough loss at Michigan, um, tough loss at home against Ohio State. In, in both of those games, they were a couple plays from winning, honestly. Um, and that's why I think that they're getting the credit they deserve because those teams, those are good teams, and they had every opportunity to beat them. You know, one play or two plays goes their way, and it's, it's totally different. So, I mean, great. It's really great to see. And now everyone else is, is you see around college football, they're kind of playing, they're grinded out, end of the season tough games, close games, everyone's tired, everyone's injured, and the Badgers are like, eh, we got our games out of the way early. We can take a breath. We don't have to show you anything. Hell, we can throw for 92 yards and still beat the crap out of you. 92 yards, that's all we need on, that's all we need for passing. That's it. Just, we'll just run it down your throat until you're tired and wore out, and eventually you're going to break, and we'll just keep running it after that, and you'll be done. And that's, that's great football to watch, really great football to watch. Um, some of the keys that I saw, okay, let's, let's go to Saturday because a lot happened on Saturday. So, yeah, number five, Ohio State, 62-3 to over Maryland. That's not really a surprise. It would have been nice if Maryland kept it close, but let's be honest, guys. We knew Ohio State was going to beat Maryland soundly. Number 10, Penn State over Indiana, 45-31. I'm not convinced on Penn State. Um, it's hard to argue because they did beat Ohio State, but it was kind of a fluke. Um, I'm really not sold on Penn State yet at number 10. I think they probably stay at number 10. They may move up to number nine, maybe. You got Georgia 13-7 to over number nine Auburn, unranked Georgia over number nine Auburn. You got a huge upset. Unranked Pitt, 43-42 over number two Clemson. Huge upset. Pitt was ready to play. And Clemson kind of proved everyone's suspicions right. That maybe Clemson, they're a good team, but they've got some weaknesses. And boy, Pitt exploited those, didn't they? Great upset win by Pitt to knock off number two. Number six, Louisville, 44-12 were Wake Forest. 
Just Wake Forest still have a team? I I don't know. Are we surprised at that? No. Louisville has got a pretty explosive offense. Um, I I think they're the same as Clemson. I think they have weaknesses that can be easily exploited, but it's Wake Forest, guys. Mississippi, 29-28 over number eight, Texas A&M. This is great, and I'll tell you why, because I am not a Texas A&M fan. I think they are getting way too much credit. I don't think they've played anybody. I think they played Alabama, and Alabama blew them out. Um, I mean, it it was a blowout game, but the score even made it look closer than it actually was. I mean, it was just not good. Uh, I I was shocked that Texas A&M was ranked eight. You know, one spot behind Wisconsin. And I'll tell you, if Wisconsin and Texas A&M lined up tomorrow, it'd be a long day for Texas A&M. You know, and and they chilled that, getting beat by unranked Mississippi. Another big upset, number 20 USC over number four Washington. Watch out for USC. As kind of horrible as they look to start the year, they are clicking. And they, I think this is the fifth or sixth win in a row now. You know, they don't, they don't have any chance at the playoffs. And, but the Rose Bowl is a possibility for them. And watch out for USC. They're one of those teams that if you've got USC on your schedule now coming to the end of the year, you're nervous. You're nervous. Washington, I thought kind of the same thing. Um, I don't know too much about Washington in general, but I, they, they're a good football team. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I thought kind of the same thing, Clemson and, and Louisville. They've got weaknesses. You could see them. They were there. And it was just when they play a team that can exploit those weaknesses, they're going to lose. And that's what happened. And soundly, 26 to 13. You know, some of these other upsets, you know, Pitt over Clemson, 43-42, one-point game. You know, Mississippi over Texas A&M, 29-28, one-point game. And then USC, 26-13. I mean, it, and the score, again, made it look closer than it actually was, I thought. I, I thought USC was the clear winner in that one. And then the big one. Go blue, right? <laughs> God, I just I can't stand Jim Harbaugh. Am I the only one? I just can't stand him. You know, it's getting to the point now where every little thing he does bothers me. Like last week, I saw him wear some old school 1950s, like Malcolm X style reading glasses. And I'm like, dude, come on. What, what, are you, what are you trying to do here? Put your old man reading glasses on like everybody else, and, and let's just call it a day here. And you're not getting style points on the sidelines. And then this week, he had just regular different glasses on. Like he's Von Miller or something. Uh, new pair of glasses every week so that I can get all mad and throw them and break them. That's, that's what happens, guys. I mean, if you didn't know that, that's why he changed glasses. Because he threw the other ones and broke them. And he'll do it again this week and the week after and the week after. Even if they win, it doesn't matter. What a psycho. Psycho. This khaki pants, a khaki psycho. See, that's the point that I'm at right now. That's, that's the hatred that I have for Jim Harbaugh. I, I think he's a good coach, don't get me wrong. I think he wears a lot of people out, but clearly, I mean, he wears me out, and I don't have to deal with the guy. But that's where it's come to with, with Jim Harbaugh. I'm, I'm, I'm like, criticizing his, his eyewear selection week to week. Yikes. But uh, big one there. Iowa 14-13 over number three, Michigan. 
Iowa is better than a lot of people think. You know, Wisconsin beat Iowa a couple weeks ago. It was a hard-fought game, and it, it always is. Now, Iowa is one of those teams, it's like, it's like the Packers and Lions, Packers and Vikings, Packers and Bears. Most of the time, it doesn't matter what those teams' records are, you're going to get a tough game. You know, they know each other so well. It's a good rivalry. They're right down the road. And, you know, you saw that Wisconsin-Iowa game. I mean, it was a great game. Tough game. Defensive game. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's probably listened to the show. Shout out to Todd Hewitt. I was talking to Todd the other day um, on Saturday morning, actually, about that. And I said, you know, Todd, this, is, this could be dangerous for Michigan. I could see Iowa upsetting Michigan here. Iowa's better than people think. This is a trap game for Michigan. And it happened. And after it happened, I thought, okay, what's best case scenario for the Badgers? Right? Best case scenario for the Badgers is two loses, three loses, four loses, eight and nine lose. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Literally best case scenario for the Badgers football team. Literally. Number two lost. Number three, Michigan, lost. Number four lost. Number eight lost. And number nine lost. So where does that leave us, guys? So of those top 10 teams. Let's just take the top 10, one through 10. Okay. The teams that won this weekend was Alabama. Number one, decisive victory. Alabama is the clear cut. Number one, there's no arguing that that's not going to change. So Alabama wins number one. Okay. Number five, Ohio state wins. Number six, Louisville wins. Number seven, Wisconsin wins. And number 10, Penn state wins. Okay. Take Penn State out of it because that was a close game over an unranked Indiana team. 45-31 is fairly close. I mean, number 10 Penn State gave up 31 points to Indiana. You know, so like I said, I'm just not buying Penn State right now. If they move up to nine, okay, but I'd kind of be surprised. I think they'll stay at 10. Um, I I don't know if, if, I just, I don't have faith in Penn State. But you look at those other wins. Okay, number five win, number six win, number seven win. Ohio State, Louisville, Wisconsin. Okay, those three wins were statement wins. Statement wins. Ohio State, 62 to three. Louisville, 44 to 12. Wisconsin, 48 to three. How can the committee that's ranking these teams look away from those three victories right there. You know, in their meeting, okay, well, number two lost, number three lost, number four lost, number eight lost, number nine lost. Jeez, who in the top ten won? Who can we bump up in the rankings? Well, Ohio State won big over Maryland in a, in a, in a you know, in-conference rivalry game, 62-3. Louisville won big over Wake Forest. Eh, it's Wake Forest. And then Wisconsin. 48 to three over Illinois. Now I'm going to tell you something and you guys might think I'm crazy, but when the rankings come out, I have got a good feeling that 
we're going to be in good shape. My ranking prediction for the next set of rankings that come out is going to be Alabama 1, Ohio State 2. I think they're back on track. Um, I think that I think that their coaching staff is far too experienced and, and gritty to not have this team on the right track. I mean, Urban Meyer is he's a good coach, man. He really is. He's a great coach. And I think the, the, the couple lapses that Ohio State had, I think that's done. That's out of the way. I think you're going to see Ohio State improve now. I hope not, but that's what I think. But Alabama 1, Ohio State 2, Wisconsin 3. That's right, folks. Wisconsin 3. Go Badgers. Boo. Indiana Hoosiers. No, Badgers. Yes, Badgers. Number 3, baby. And then number 4, Louisville. Now, even though Louisville is ranked 6 right now, one ahead of Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin has enough momentum to leapfrog Louisville. Okay. Uh, going back to the Louisville win over Wake Forest, like I keep saying, it's Wake Forest. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a Wake Forest expert by any means, but I just I don't see that as a quality win. Now, I don't see Illinois as a quality win either so much for the Badgers, but I think it's more quality than Louisville. And I think when you look at the – I mean, it's no comparison. When you look at the strength of schedule and overall body of work, Wisconsin has proved that they can be flashy. They can run the score up on you. They can be extremely efficient. But they've also proven that they can make mistakes on the offensive side of the football and still beat you. They don't have to be perfect on offense to beat you. They can win ugly games. They can win close games. For the most part, they know how to finish games. For the most part. There's been a couple instances where they haven't. But for the most part, they know how to finish games. And unless they're playing a top three team, they can be off their A game and still win. I mean, honest, honestly. You know, they were off their A game at Michigan. And granted, Michigan missed, what, three field goals? But uh, it really a play away. I mean, they give up that one long touchdown pass, and that was the difference. You know, they held, held Michigan to 14 points. That's a great defense. Wisconsin's got holding Michigan to, to 14 points. But when you look at the overall quality of wins that the Badgers have versus Louisville, it's not even close. Not even close. Louisville lost to Clemson. And Clemson has been a team that, that's suspect. And now that's, you know, now, like I said, people's suspicions are, are, are confirmed. Clemson is maybe not all that they're cracked up to be. They've got weaknesses. You know, and this is a Louisville team that lost to a Clemson team with, with obvious weaknesses. Um, I really, I really honestly feel like Wisconsin can and will leapfrog Louisville for the number three spot. However, it may go the other way because of the rankings the way they are right now. In all honesty, Louisville may be number four, or Louisville may be number three, Wisconsin may be number four. Even if Wisconsin jumps to number five, I'm okay with that. I think based on, like I said, two losing, three losing, four, eight, nine, all losing, I think that the Badgers have enough momentum with their big win and their strength of schedule and their total body of work to make it in the top four right now. 
But even if they get to number five, I'm fine with it because you know what? The Badgers are going to keep winning. They're going to keep winning. And you're going to see next week there's going to be more upsets. And, and all the, the Badgers just got to keep doing their thing. They don't have to show you anything. Like I said, they can throw the ball for 92 yards and, and beat the crap out of you. It doesn't matter. So all the Badgers need to do is just keep winning. And they're going to let these other teams that are playing their gritty, tough games at the end of the season, they're going to let them get beat and fall off, get injured, get tired. Meanwhile, the Badgers, are, they're fine. They got injuries like everybody else, but they're, they're in good shape. I'm really excited, really excited about this Badgers team. This is, um, this is really a great year for, for Wisconsin sports. You know, and I'm not going to talk too much about Wisconsin men's basketball because, again, it's so early. But, you know, coming into the, the, the preseason, quote, being ranked number nine, which I don't put too much stock in that. Um, but I think the Badgers basketball team could be a force this year, too. I really do. I really do. You know, they took a step back last year. You know, you had a coaching change. Um, I don't think that it, that necessarily hurt things. I just think that it just wasn't there. You know, just, it was just obvious. It just wasn't there. You know, they were a good team, but they weren't a great team. And I think this year there's the potential for them to be a great team. Everyone's used to the coach now. You know, we, we've, we've got those jitters kind of ironed out the first season of coaching. Um, I mean, I, I, I've got a great feeling about the Badgers basketball as well. Great, really great time. I mean, aside from the Packers, jeez. Aside from the Packers, I, I can't believe we're saying that, but aside from the Packers, um, it's a really a great, you know, really a great time for sports in, in Wisconsin. You know, um, exciting times for sports in Wisconsin. Like the Bucks are on the rise. The Badgers are on the rise, both football and basketball. Um, exciting time. I want to talk about Brewers too. Um, we're going to take a, another fake commercial break here. And uh, after the break, we're going to talk a little bit of Brewers. Um, I know it's baseball off season, but uh, there was some exciting news. Like I said, these are exciting times for the state of Wisconsin and, and Milwaukee um, in particular in this. But um, 215-383-3687 is the call-in number for the Hewitt Moving and Storage Hotline. Give me a call, guys. Uh, we've got about a half an hour left on this hideous radio program this morning. Those of you that are still listening, thank you for bringing it home in the final stretch here. Um, so we're going to take a short uh, fake commercial break, and we've got lots more real score after the break, guys. Stick around. Hi, guys. This is Ron Artest. Today, I want to talk about something very important, anger management. Do you ever have the sudden urge to jump into the stands and beat the bejesus out of someone with their own shoe for heckling you? If so, I can help. I created I'm Fine Anger Management to help those people with extreme rage issues. Trust I'm Fine Anger Management and you'll be fine yourself. I promise. I'm Fine Anger Management is not a real thing. This ad should not be taken seriously. Welcome back. You are listening live to the Real Score Radio. I am your host, Mr. Mike. And so far, I think it's going way worse than expected. What a what a hideous radio program. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Suck baseball, guys. Um it is the off season. Um I do have a little bit of 
non-Brewers news, but close enough because, let's face it, the southeastern region of Wisconsin is flooded with Fibs and Chicago Cubs bandwagon fans. Um, so I, I do want to get to some Chicago Cubs breaking news here. Um, this is very interesting, and uh, this kind of ties really a lot together that's, that's been happening, you know, really in our world. Um, the Chicago Cubs, as you all know, um, as everybody knows, because every Cub fan in the world will remind you, um, if you don't know, um, that the Cubs are the greatest team in the history of baseball. Just ask a Cubs fan. They will tell you. But this is breaking news coming out of Chicago. The Chicago Cubs are being forced to give up their World Series title. Can you believe it? The Cleveland Indian fans have rioted across the country in protest of the 2016 World Series. Now, despite knowing the rules of the game, they were unhappy that they lost, and they demanded the outcome be changed. I mean, you could hear chanting, not our World Series champion, all across America. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, even though the Cubs won four games and the Indians only won three, since both teams ended up scoring 27 total runs throughout all seven games, they're both going to be declared co-World Series champions now. Now, Commissioner Manfred was questioned, and he said, quote, we felt as though it was the right thing to do for the nation. I mean, what kind of example would Major League Baseball be setting if we expected the adults who play this game and their fans to gracefully accept defeat? Instead of creating a bigger divide between the Cubs and Indians, the MLB is confident that the Cubs will gladly share their victory with the Indians. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Cub fans. Unbelievable. Cubs are the greatest team in the history of the world. Just ask any Cubs fan. They will tell you that. These are the same fans that made death threats to a guy in Bartman that reached for a ball. Give me a break. I can't respect Cub fans after that. I just can't do it. I mean, the guy's been in hiding for how many years? The guy's been in hiding because he went for a ball. Not just him. I mean, 10 other people in the stands went for the ball, too. People are questioning whether he's a fan. For Christ's sake, the guy was listening to the radio broadcast while watching the game, sitting in the stands. Probably had his little notebook out there, keeping track of the box score. Uh, that's one out for so-and-so, and that's two out for this guy. And, and uh, Let me get my calculator out to calculate this. Come on. The guy's been in hiding. No respect for Cubs fans after that. Get out of here. Cub fans. You know, it's, it's just Chicago fans in general, man. I mean, it is, isn't it? It is. It's Chicago fans in general. Cub fans, Bear fans. Although I will say the Bear fans have sort of embraced the comedy that the Bears have put on the field. You know, I, I have a couple friends that are Cubs fans, and, you know, I, I read some of the posts that they put about the Bears, and, and it's it's comical. And and you know that they're not, you know, being serious because it's a, it's a lost cause. You know, and they're in a rebuild, you know. I think John Fox is a is a good football coach. Um I mean they're they're rebuilding. That's that's the way it works. But oh my god, can you imagine if the Bears get good? I mean, you'll have the 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 Bears 
I just I can't I can't even I don't I just don't even want to, my head's about to explode think, trying to think about that. If the Bears got good, the Cubs got good. I mean, you want to talk about building a wall? At that point, we would need to build a wall across the the state of Wisconsin to keep the fibs out of Wisconsin. Just go back. Just go back to Illinois. We don't. We just go back to Illinois. Just go. Get out. I don't want to hear about the Cubs. I don't want to hear about the Bears. I don't care how good they are. They suck. In my opinion, they suck. God, I'm all worked up talking about Chicago teams. It's ridiculous. Cub fans. You shut up! Are you doing this? No, I'm doing this. Cub fans. Unbelievable. All right. Moving on to more baseball. Good news out of Milwaukee. I, I think it's good news anyway. Some people may not agree, but I think it's great news. Um, David Stearns says this was the easiest decision he's had to make over the past year when it came to a three-year contract extension for the homegrown local manager, Craig Council. Um, I mean, really, it, it, it moved his you know, kind of lame duck status entering this 2017 season, which was the final season of, of the three-year extension that he signed, you know, after taking over for Renicke in 2015. Um, Council's a young guy, 46 years old. Um, it gave him great job security as this Brewers franchise plows forward in its rebuild. I think they exceeded expectations Last season, I really do. They weren't a great foot, they, uh, great baseball team, but I think they exceeded a lot of people's expectations. I, I really think they did. I thought they made decent moves, that there could have been some better moves. I'm, I'm still not sure about the talks for Braun, Braun and, and Puig. Um, you know, I, I, again, I, I keep going to this rebuild thing, but I think it's really important in a rebuild that you've that you, you got to have veteran leadership. You gotta have a guy that's gonna rally the troops, and when the going gets tough, he gets the tough going. And I just, I mean, you gotta have young players too. Don't get me wrong. You gotta have young, talented players too. But what you don't want is you don't want a young, talented player that's gonna put a put a divide in your locker room. And I think that's what you get with Puig. I, I just, I don't, I, I don't think that he's a good fit for Milwaukee. Now I could be wrong. You know, uh, look at guys like Terrell Pryor. You heard stories about Terrell Pryor being a horrible locker room guy. Horrible. And he disappeared for, geez, several seasons. And then all of a sudden he reappears as a wide receiver and totally different guy, different attitude, changed guy. Could be the same thing. You know, maybe it could be good for Puig to come to Milwaukee. Humble him a little bit. But let's be honest. Do you, do you really think that Yasiel Puig is going to be happy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? I don't. So, but overall, I think they made some, some good moves. I mean, they're, they're 135 and 65, you know, still a losing record, um, you know, since council took over as the manager. Um, and, and really, since he took over as manager, that was kind of the start of this full-scale rebuild um, and preceded the transition from, you know, Brewer's longtime manager, Doug Melvin, to Stearns now. Um, I, think, I think the team surpassed. Um, Atanasio's expectations, 73 and 89, not terrible, you know, for a team in Milwaukee that's rebuilding like that. Um, I mean, this is, this is 
despite you know the departure of Jonathan Lucroy, Jeremy Jeffers, Will Smith. You know, I thought they still played well. You know, despite losing those guys, which you know they had to move them because they were valuable, and that's how you rebuild. Um. So uh, overall, I think I think good news really for the for the Brewers. Like I said, good news overall. I think for the state of Wisconsin, aside from the Packers. Um, you know, I'm not going to spend too much more time in the Packers because I'm going to get all sweaty again. But uh, something needs to change in Green Bay. Something needs to change. Um, you know, the the team wasn't performing in Milwaukee. They made they made a lot of changes. Team wasn't performing in for the Bucks. Uh, team made changes. It's that's the way the world works. Like I said, if you're going to spend a decade in Green Bay, you better win some some championships. And I'm not talking one championship on a year that you snuck in in a wild card that's looking more and more like a fluke. All right, all right. I'm getting all sweaty now again. I, t- I said I wasn't going to talk about this. We're sticking to baseball, okay? Like I said, I, the Brewers, I've got, I've got a lot of faith. I'm excited for, for the 2017 Brewers season. Um, I think based on last season, I think, uh, I think we're in for a pleasant surprise. Now, do I think they can make a good run next year? No. No, but I think 2018, 2019, I think we stay on the right track here. And I think, I'm going to go out and say it. I think by 2020, okay, I think by 2020, the Brewers will have a shot to play in and win a World Series. I'm telling you, the formula and the plan was made very clear by the Cubs. Develop good young talent, draft well spend the money you need to spend on your whole pluggers. And that's what the Brewers are going to do. I, I really feel like that's what the Brewers are going to do. I think ownership Milwaukee has come out and said that, you know, we need to spend money. We'll spend the money. Uh, we haven't seen that too much in the past. Um, but I think based on the climate of baseball and, and how good the Cubs are now, and, and that the Cubs are a bitter rival of ours, I think the pressure is on to compete. So it's good news. Overall, it's great news, I think, for the city of Milwaukee and the Bucks and the Brewers. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the Brewers coming up in 2017. I think it's going to be a great season. Um, speaking of baseball, we are going to get to a segment with a legend, boys and girls, a legend, Bob Euchre. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for story time with Bob Euchre, where we let Bob just go on a ridiculous rant and tell us a story that makes sense to him and, let's be honest, probably makes sense to no one else. Bob, take it away, buddy. Thanks, Mike. Today I'd like to talk a little bit about my experience with rookie sensation Charlie Sheen in the night out we had one day in Milwaukee. Walking down Water Street one night, we found ourselves in a real pickle. Just a little outside of the city limits, we found a couple hookers that could make our night fantastic. But instead of taking those hookers up on their offers, we decided to walk down to Stenny's friends and got a cold Miller Lite. Miller Lite, always refreshing, always a good decision. 
After we left Stenny's, we decided it was probably time to head back to the hotel. Just outside of 2 o'clock, we decided to head on back. Charlie disappeared for a second. Lo and behold, he was out. After a little while, I felt like I should probably go look for him, but knowing Charlie, he was going to be out all day. Therefore, I decided to call it a night, go to bed, and start fresh in the morning. As I woke up the next morning to an ice-cold Miller Lite, Miller Lite's always a good decision, Charlie was sitting in the chair next to me, staring at me with effervescent eyes. I said, Charlie, just a bit outside of normal wake-up hours, isn't it? And Charlie says, well, Bob, I've been staring at you all night. Remember that hooker that we tried to pick up? The hooker was actually you. <laughs> That's a great story I'll never forget, folks. One more time, let's hear it for the Real Score Radio. Thanks, Mike. Fantastic. That was just incoherent nonsense, wasn't it? I, Bob, I can't wait to see what you've got for us next week. Um, wow, great stuff. And thanks for the plug at the end there. Um, let's be honest. I can use all the advertising I can get. Um, Bob Euchre, ladies and gentlemen, obviously fake Bob Euchre, ladies and gentlemen, please don't sue me, Bob Euchre. Um, we've got about 10 minutes left of this, uh, fantastic radio program. And I want to get to our final segment. And in this segment, I dive into the real score voicemail box and I listen to the feedback that I get from you, my wonderful, wonderful viewers. And this is a segment I like to call, This is Why I Suck. This is why I suck. This is why I suck. This is why this is why I suck. This is why I suck. This is why I suck. This is why, this is why, this is why I suck. Because I'm flat out. You ain't because you're not. Let me tell you why I suck. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I suck. Let's go into the voicemail box and choose a voicemail at random. And we have a voicemail from Betty Clark in Knoxville, Tennessee. This radio program is ridiculous. You suck. Wow. Thank you very much for that eye-opening voicemail, Betty. We appreciate your feedback. And as always, I will not take it into consideration, nor do I care what you say. Now, folks, as hard as this is to believe, I am not actually in a studio. Now, I know the professional nature of this show would tell you otherwise, but in reality, I'm in my living room with some makeshift foam put up on the walls to deaden the sound because my wife is in the other room sleeping. The sun is just coming up in uh, the beautiful Hawaii region. And uh, it looks a little cloudy outside, so it may be a good stay-in day today, um, which is wonderful because... Hawaii time, everything is earlier, so sports is on earlier. Monday Night Football is on earlier, baby. Excited. I'm excited for Monday Night Football tonight. Um, 
I think it's going to be a great game. I really do. I think that I think that despite the 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 viewership being down, I think it's going to pick up. Um as the season goes on and it gets closer, um it's almost I don't want to say a blessing, but it almost kind of is a blessing that the teams that we're seeing are are for the most part on the same pace, you know, as far as being um, kind of mediocre, really. Um, I think that's almost a good thing right now because I think we're going to see that in the future here, at the end of the season, because all these teams are so evenly matched and they're so kind of evenly subpar, we're going to see some really good close games that they may not be between two really good teams, but they're going to be good games. So it's encouraging. Don't jump off the boat quite yet. We got Bengals and Giants tonight. Um, Bengals are coming in three, four, and one. Giants are coming in five and three. Um, I'll tell you, I, I'm surprised by the Giants. I really am, but I still am skeptical. Um, my shocking killer pick of the future is Bengals tonight. Uh, I think the spread on this game is 43. Uh, it's going to be an offensive game. I mean, these defenses are not fantastic, either one of them. But I think that the Bengals are due for a big defensive night, and I think they're, they're due for a big offensive night as well. The Giants are coming off a, a great win last week against Philadelphia. Um, I think the Giants are going to come in, and I honestly, really honestly feel like even though the Giants are home, I feel like they're going to overlook the Bengals, and I feel like the Bengals are angry and they need this win. I mean, they, they, they don't want to start the season 3-5-1 and one in Cincinnati. Okay, so Bengals need this. I think they're going to play angry tonight. I think they're going to be ready. And um, I'm going to say Bengals. I'm going to say Bengals 35, Giants 14. Yes, folks, Bengals 35, Giants 14. If that doesn't get your blood going. I don't know what does. I mean, that talk about a bold pick. I could be way off. I'll tell you what, I, I, I picked the Browns and Ravens uh, Thursday night. I picked the Browns and it was 28, seven. So Been wrong before I'm going to be wrong again. Don't get mad. Don't freak out. Everybody just stay calm. But I'm telling you, I think the Bengals win this one. I think they win it going away. I think it's a sound victory. I don't think the Bengals get necessarily back on track after tonight, but I think they take a step in the right direction. And um, I think that if and possibly when the Giants lose to the Bengals tonight, I think the New York media is going to go nuts because that's how New York is, similar to Chicago. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's really bad. In fact, that's how Green Bay is too now, right? That's what we've become as fans. When it's good, we're the best ever. Just ask us. And when it's bad, fire everybody. Bench Rogers. Blow it up. Explode the franchise and start from scratch. That's the world of sports, folks. That's why the five listeners that I probably have left that are still listening to this show, that's why you're listening, because that's what sports is. It tugs on your heartstrings. Your team will, will get you so close to total elation and then break your heart, and you keep coming back. Do you know why? Because we like the pain because we know how the joy feels. 
And we know that as bad as the pain is, the joy is so much better. And we stick around. We keep watching. We keep cheering. We keep rooting. We keep going. We keep buying jerseys. And fans. Fan is short for fanatic. No one said we had to be reasonable. And that's exactly what this show is not. It is not reasonable. Folks, I want to thank all of you again for joining me on this hideous journey through the magical world of this sports universe. Join me next Monday, same bad time, same bad channel, for more rants, definitely more skewed opinions, and some pretty shoddy journalism. Hopefully you laughed, hopefully you cried, but most importantly, guys, hopefully you will remember to always be all about that action, boss. We will see you next time. This has been The Real Score Radio. 